Hi, I'm Erwin McManus. I want to welcome you to the Mosaic Podcast. I want to also bring you into some exciting things that are happening here. If you go to the Mosaic app, you will learn about our conference coming up this year, about MSC's new album and their tour across the country. And you can learn how to connect and be more involved in Mosaic in so many different ways. And by the way, we now have the Mosaic YouTube channel. And you can go access not only these talks, but other fresh and new materials that are being created specifically for that channel. And so if you want to be connected in a richer and fuller way, uh, not only be a part of the podcast, get to the Mosaic app and get to the channel. And we'll see you there. What a good day it is to be alive. Life is every day a promise of new opportunities and new possibilities. And Have you ever stepped into a moment in your life so full of enthusiasm and excitement and knowing that something good is coming? And then God interrupts your life with an unexpected, unforeseen circumstance. Well, sometimes when I read the scriptures, I'm almost set back by the way God interacted with the people of Israel. And I understand it was a different time and a different context. And there are so many different things going on that we could not fully understand and absorb. But but so many of the things God does in relationship to Israel give insight to the way God works in my life and in our lives today. But there's this one particular place in the book of Judges, and I'm sure you were just reflecting on the book of Judges yesterday. <laughs> but there's one particular place in the book of Judges that, that really caught me off guard. It's one of those statements where you get an unexpected insight into how God works in the world. Because I'm convinced that, that if we could just pull back the curtain and see what God is doing it would make what we're experiencing on the stage of life so much easier to take a hold of. Because like the rain that can inconvenience us, and Kim, my beautiful wife Kim, she loves the rain. Ask her. She loves the rain. But every time it rains, she runs. Uh, We've been having this conversation all week long. Because when it starts raining, oh, my hair. Or it starts raining, it starts raining, oh, let's get out of the rain. And, and, and I just made, I've just set, set this in my heart because I always said I didn't love the rain. She always says she does, so I'm going to love the rain more. I'm just, I'm not going to let her love the rain more. So when she goes, I love the rain, and it starts raining, I go, why are you running? We love the rain. <laughs> and, and she's looking for an umbrella. I go, why do you want an umbrella? Why would you block out that which you love? You love the rain. I, said, I don't think you love the rain. In fact, I'm a skeptic now. I used to think she loved the rain. But now I'm not so sure now. In fact, I remember one time we were in New York and it was raining and she slipped and fell. And, and I didn't even see her. And this supermodel guy picked her up. And she was so upset because we were fighting when she fell. I know it's a bad moment. She didn't love the rain that day because it made the floor slippery and she hit one of those metal street covers or something and went sliding along. Didn't love the rain. And so I've been loving the rain. And so I've just resolved in my own life that if I'm going to love the rain, then I shouldn't run when it comes. I should just enjoy it. And, And then you see how frantic people are running in L.A. from the rain. Because it's coming down so hard. And of course, you're made out of some kind of product that melts when water hits you. 
so you have to run. See, I think a lot of people like watching the rain, but I don't know if they like walking in the rain. That's what it is so oftentimes in life. It seems that, that we would rather watch an extraordinary life happen than actually live it. Because when you live the extraordinary life, you have to let the rain get you wet. It affects your convenience. In the book of Judges, chapter 3, beginning in verse 1, the scriptures tell us, These are the nations the Lord left to test all those Israelites who had not experienced any of the wars in Canaan. He did this only to teach warfare to the descendants of the Israelites who had not had previous battle experiences. The five rulers of the Philistines, all the Canaanites, the Sidonites, and the Hivites, living in the Lebanon mountains from Mount Baal Hermon to Lebo Hamath, they were left to test the Israelites to see whether they would obey the Lord's commands, which he had given their ancestors through Moses. The Israelites lived among the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites. They took their daughters in marriage and gave their own daughters to their sons and served their gods. I was struck how this chapter of Judges begins by letting us know that even though in the time of Joshua, and this is right after the time of Joshua, remember you have these epic leaders. You have Moses, and then you have Joshua. And you ever feel like you've got great momentum? You had great leaders, the world was moving forward, and then everything falls apart? We have no idea what that would look like. But here was a moment where they no longer had Moses, and it took them time to trust Joshua, because Joshua was not Moses. But then they found that Joshua was not only not Moses, he was Joshua, and he was exactly what they needed. And then Joshua led the people of Israel, and God kept using language, I'm going to give you peace, and I'm going to give you rest. I think sometimes God promises us things, and what he's promising is actually different than what we think he's promised. And so when God talked about rest and peace, they thought he meant what we would call rest and peace. But God clearly did not work from the same dictionary that they were working from because when he gave them rest, they were still in the middle of struggle. And when he gave them peace, they were still in the middle of war. And God, I don't think you know what this means, rest and peace. And he moves through Joshua to conquer the land that now becomes the land of the people of God. But here in Judges, we're reminded that God did not give them complete rest and peace. He actually left them in the middle of conflict. He left them in a land filled with enemies. And he did that on purpose. I mean, have you ever tried to explain a way why God is doing in your life what he's done? I, I think sometimes that becomes where we really mess up our view of God. So we try to explain what's going on in our lives from our own frameworks, and we don't really understand what God is thinking. And here, though, we are told exactly what God is thinking. These are the nations the Lord left. In other words, these were the enemies. These were the nations that wanted to wipe out the people of Israel. These were the nations the Lord left to test all those Israelites who had not experienced any of the wars in Canaan. See, God knew that, that they were going to 
enter into a new era of their life. A new generation would be born. And if they were not careful, they would not be battle ready. That they would have memories of times that God was with them, but they would not know times where God was with them. They would have memories of God coming through and intervening in a miraculous, powerful way, but they would not know that encounter of God intervening on their behalf in an undeniable, miraculous way. They would have the stories of Moses. They would have the stories of Joshua, but they would not have their own stories of God's faithfulness in their life. And so God left them with nations who would oppose them Specifically for those Israelites who had not experienced any of the wars in Canaan. And then he says, he did this, here it is, only to teach warfare to his descendants of the Israelites who had not had previous battle experience. When I read that, some, the, the hairs on the back of my neck go up. He did this. For the descendants of those who had not yet had previous battle experience to teach them warfare. The five rulers of the Philistines, all the Canaanites, the Sidon, Sidonians, and the Hivites living in the Lebanon mountains from Mount Baal Ermon to Lebo Hamath. God did this to teach them warfare. One of the things I think that we have not really highlighted enough about how God works in our life. And why God allows certain things in our life is that God is going to do whatever he needs to do to teach you to fight. See, I, I think that what most of us want from God is the journey where he, quote, fights every battle so that you don't have to fight any battle. Where he removes all the obstacles in life, where he removes all the difficulties, where he removes all the challenges in your life. Wouldn't that be wonderful? Wouldn't it be great if we lived the kind of life where we never had to exert any energy or effort ever again, but we could always win? And what I want you to realize is that God will never put you in a circumstance. He'll never put you in a situation. He will never put you in a context in your life where there is not a battle coming. I want to assure you, even if you just won a great battle, that battle... Is not the end of your story. In fact, I've come to resolve that the reward of winning a great battle is a greater battle. The reward of winning a great battle is not peace and rest. The reward of a great battle is that now you know how strong you are. How powerful God is. How much he can accomplish. And you no longer fear what you used to fear because you took care of that yesterday. You may not know this, but, but even though McManus is how you know me, my family name is Cardona. And Cardonas are fighters. And I married a fighter. She's Irish. Just comes to the territory, drinking and fighting. She doesn't drink, so she doubled up. <laughs> and so Aaron and Mariah, our sweet children, they're fighters too. In fact, if you come and live with us, just move quickly. 
because we're a house full of fighters. In fact, years ago when we took the strain finder, there's like 32 different strengths that they line out. And you're only supposed to focus on your top five because you're supposed to focus on your strengths, not your weaknesses. But we all know how we are. <laughs> and at that time, we were able to see the bottom five of the strain finder. And what I thought was interesting is all of us have different number ones. My, my number one strength is different than Kim's number one strength is different than Aaron's number one strength, different than Mariah's number one strength. But we all have the exact same number 32. Our least strong strength is something called harmony. That means if, if humans are dynamic and complex and adaptable and pliable, and so you can dig deep into the well of human resource, and you can go past your top one strength or two strength, three strength, five strength. You, you can pull down because when you need it, you can pull that strength out, right? But see, in our family, we got to go way deep. We, got, we have to go all the way to the bottom of the strengths. In fact, it might even not be called the strength anymore. Because not one of us is going to reach down and pull out the strength of harmony. We're going to pull out different strengths. And so our family is... Battle-tested and battle-ready. And I always thought, wouldn't it have been better if God just gave us families where we never fought? I mean, after all, if, if you're married and you believe in Jesus and she believes in Jesus, shouldn't it just all be Jesus? It should just be a lot of Jesus happening all the time. But, but her Jesus and my Jesus do not always see eye to eye. <laughs> In fact, I can tell you, our two Jesuses don't get along all the time. <laughs> you gave birth to those kids. I don't even know how this works chemically. How is it possible that we gave birth to these children, we raised them, we did everything to everything in our favor, and they still disagree with us? I don't get it. I don't understand how Aaron or Mariah could ever fight with me. They're my blood. I mean, they're my, my sangre. They're my peoples. I raised them. I fed them. I bought them clothes. I bought her a lot of clothes. <laughs> They're still fighting with me. See, I, I, I come from a family of fighters. In fact, I, I, I started thinking how my, my grandparents who raised me for the first few years of my life they were fighters. They lived through decades and decades of war in El Salvador. My mom was a fighter. I remember she was telling us that when we were little, my brother and I, that she would feed us food and, and whatever we didn't eat off the plates, that's what she ate. She was a fighter. See, I, I come from a legacy of fighters and it becomes the legend of fighters. And I, I think sometimes what... What happens in our faith is that our faith makes us anemic. It makes us soft. It makes us weak. It, it makes us tepid and timid because we thought that we would never have to find courage again. So December was a crazy month for us. And, and if I just kind of worked my way backwards, it was one of those moments where on December 26th, as I shared with so many of you, and 
uh, we, we had this great idea we were going to give away Kim's Lexus, and, and I went and got it appraised and got it, uh, you know, detailed, and we're driving it home, and, and then this car runs a stop sign, crashes into the car. It has now been totaled, and, and, and frankly, I didn't even feel shaken up. I mean, I was physically shaken up, but I wasn't emotionally or psychologically shaken up. I, I, I just had this strange thought. I thought, wow, you just never know what will kill you. Right? Because you don't know. Because December was one of those months. And, and that's one of the reasons I, I, I wanted to take time to share with you today. Because I, I need someone to go in the back and get my manuscript. I, I've been writing a book called The Last Arrow. And, and the, the concept of The Last Arrow has been that we should die with our quiver empty. That we don't want to look back on our lives and realize we left things undone that we were created to do. And in fact, the opening chapter of The Last Arrow is save nothing for the next life. You have things to do in this life and you get one life to accomplish them. And I started writing this book probably almost a year ago. But the editing process was starting back up in December, and I had to have it to the publishers by the middle of December. And in the book, I started telling a story about this strange little medical assessment they do called the PSA. About six or seven years ago, when I was running my companies, my partner wanted me to get a key man insurance policy, where if I die, the company would be taken care of. And, and so I, I had to go through all these tasks to... Um, to qualify, but I, I strangely, and I thought, I'm pretty good, I'm pretty good health, you know, I, I thought, this is going to be easy for me, and my blood pressure is always so low, they do it three or four times, because they think I'm dead, it, and, uh, and I, I evidently, I, I have, I have, like, the, the blood pressure of an Ethiopian marathon runner, and, uh, and, and I always have these strange relationships and tasks, and, and when they did my PSA, they said, well, your PSA is too high, and uh, so we can't, you, we, we can't, um, Certify you for, for life insurance. That's like six years ago. So I thought, oh, that's really um, a pain. Because I, I knew there's nothing wrong with me. I just can't seem to pass this test. I've never been good at tests. And, and, and so they did a series of other tests, and then we tried it again and again, and I just I could never pass it. And, and, and eventually they went to see if there was something wrong with me, and they couldn't find anything wrong with me. And, and this has been going on for five or six years. And... and and I thought, I got to get life insurance. I want to make sure I, I take care of this. And, and so I went to one of our friends who was a doctor, and I was trying to find a way around the system. And I said, could you help me pass this test? Because I knew there's nothing wrong with me. I just, need, I just can't pass this test. And, and so they sent me to one doctor who gave me a bunch of antibiotics to try to get the, the, those levels down. And, and, and then when I finished the whole process of cleansing my, my body, my PSA levels just shot through the roof. And they said, okay, that's not good. And then they said, well, you have to have a biopsy. And uh, I didn't want to have a biopsy and because um, they're invasive. And, uh, and everything I imagined, it was worse. And so they did a biopsy, and, and I thought, that's okay. It's not a big deal. It's just going through the process. I just need to get insured. And I was so sure that everything would be fine that we decided to celebrate at a restaurant. And I called, and after um, they were going to tell me the results of the biopsy, so... I went and met with the doctor with Kim, and the kids were going to meet us in the restaurant. And, and it was the strangest, most surreal moment when a doctor looked at you and says, um, 
you have cancer. And when he said those words, I, I could tell that he has said them so many times, but they were still not easier for him. And, and I think what was harder for me in that moment, honestly, was looking at Kim and seeing her reaction and seeing how it hit her. And we didn't know the implications or the full extent of it, um, but they, they did the biopsy and they um, accessed information from eight different you know, um, places, and it was malignant five of them, and and it was more developed than they would have expected. And somehow over the five, six years, I just missed it. And, and, and then our journey began, and that was around December 12th. And that was what we faced during this December during Christmas. And, and in that moment, I want you to know this. I would encourage you to go back and listen to my talks. Because I, I wrote every one of those talks uncertain of how all this would play out. And it created in me greater resolve to only speak that which I believe, hold dear, and know to be true. And and that night, it was not a good evening. It was a difficult evening for Aaron and Mariah and Kim and myself. It was a lot to process, and he told me, now we need to do bone scans to make sure the cancer is not in your bones, and we need to do an MRI to see how far it spread, to see if it's in your organs, and... And just the testing itself felt um, ominous. And after everyone went to sleep, after everyone was in bed, I thought, I need to finish this book. See, one of the strange things about the way I process things is I write every book as if it's the last book I'll ever write. And I always ask myself this question, what's, what's the last thing you want to leave the world if you were to die? And, and so when I write, it, it has a, a great depth to my own personal journey. And years ago, I decided I, I had to stop speaking about things that didn't matter to me. I could only speak about things that mattered. And, and that night, after everyone went to bed, I took this manuscript, and I opened it up to the next page to edit. And I didn't plan this out. It just happened the way it was. It happened to be in chapter 4 in a chapter called Act Like Your Life Depends on It. And the first words I read, and I know that they were because I underlined them, and I put the date by them, and it said this. So let me just tell you before you hear it from someone else, I'm dying. And then the next sentence says, but so are you. See, doctors cannot tell you that you're dying and it come as a shock to you. They can tell you how you're going to die, but they don't even know that. Because after I heard those words and a few weeks later, after we heard the great news that it was not in my bones and we heard that the MRI was clear, I get hit by that car and I walk out of that car and I think to myself, You think you're going to die of cancer. (laughs) And you're going to get hit by a guy. Just a little bit drunk from Christmas Eve. Running a stop sign. And you might ask yourself in moments like this. Why God would you allow something like this to happen? And the answer is right there in Judges chapter 3. He wants to prepare you for battle. He wants to teach us how to fight. 
I love this. He did this only to teach warfare to the descendants of the Israelites who had not had previous battle experience. This is my, my great concern, even for our community, for our church, for our future, that we would have a generation that had no battle experience. That everything has been given to you, everything has come to you too easily. And so you didn't develop the muscles necessary to fight the good fight. You didn't develop the muscles that allow you to live a life of great courage, to live a life of great faith. And no one should ever pray for something like this. But the moment I heard those words, there was something inside of me that I knew had found its place in a deep resolve in the goodness of God. I've prayed many times in my life, God, send me through whatever I need to go through to live a life that will help others live the life that you created them to live. And I, I know this is supposed to be our greatest year. I know that the future is better than the past. I know that God wants to do more than we could ever ask or imagine here at Mosaic. But there has to come a day where you get out of the village that's being protected by those on the front line. And you pick up your bow and your arrow, your sword, your weapon, and you get in the fight of making the world a better place. In 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verse 13, Paul says this, Be on the alert. Stand firm in the faith. Act like men. Be strong. I've been here for, we've been here for almost 25 years in Los Angeles. And I can tell you, I have seen people that others never even noticed who had the strength of a lion. Our senior adults sit right here in the section week after week, month after month, year after year, decade after decade. And there is nothing we do that is focused on their age group. I don't know if you know that. We don't sit in a meeting and go, what kind of lights would they like? We should change the ambiance for our senior adults. They're going to love this new song. They need it louder. And you know why they're here? Because they're not fighting a battle for themselves. They've been fighting a battle for you. And you don't know when they face such difficult moments in their life. And the older you get... The smaller things become great battles. Sometimes we don't recognize the extraordinary courage of the people that are sitting here quietly. And they have sacrificed. And they have taken great risks. And they've moved toward extraordinary, extraordinary measures to create this place we call Mosaic. And my question is, will you step up and take on this battle? 
I'm convinced God wants to teach us how to fight so that generations from now they will know that the church in Los Angeles was alive and well, filled with faith and courage, and that nothing but nothing could stop them from fulfilling God's intention for them. Then he goes, oh, by the way, it says, I love this. Be on alert, stand firm in the faith, act like men. Now, I I know that's a little um, masculine, I'm just for a moment, can I just be a man? I love this, act like men, because I just keep meeting men who are still boys. I, I keep meeting 30-year-olds who are still 15, 50-year-olds who are acting like they're 12. And it's time to act like men. And it says, act like men and be strong. And it applies both to men and women. It's time to be a grown-up. It's time to be mature in your faith. It's time to step up and be strong. And and if the small things keep crushing you, it's because you're not focused on big enough things. But if you're in danger of thinking this is too chauvinistic, I want you to listen to what he says. Be on the alert, stand firm in the faith, act like men, be strong. And then he says this in verse 14, let all that you do Be done in love. You want to know how to act like a man? You want to know how to be strong? Make sure everything you do is an act of love. There is no greater strength in the world. This has been a fundamental flaw in the church. That the church somehow thought... That being judgmental and condemning was a sign of strength. Self-righteousness is not a sign of strength. Servanthood is a sign of strength. Graciousness is a sign of strength. Compassion is a sign of strength. If you want to learn how to become strong, learn to love your enemies as yourself. God makes us battle ready by teaching us how to fight, but... He also does this to teach us how to trust. Verse 4, he goes on. They were left, the battles, they were left to test the Israelites to see whether they would obey the Lord's commands, which he has given their ancestors through Moses. God left them there to test them, to test their hearts, to see if they would obey the Lord's commands. See, God not only wants to teach us to fight, but he wants to teach us to trust. Now, I'm sharing with you that I have cancer, not so that you'll feel sympathy. In fact, my my great um, concern has been to place too much focus on my own personal journey. I would rather just go to Switzerland and take care of this and come back, saying I went to a spa and came back healthier. But I also know that a part of the journey that we have together as a community is learning how to be human through everything we face in life. And I I, I want you to know some people. In fact, I've been slowly telling people in my life, and it's it's a little awkward for me because they get more shaken up than I am. Are you okay? And I go, no. In fact, very quickly, are you okay? I want to make sure you're okay. See, because here's, I can tell you this from this side, 
I can tell you this before the bone scan came out clear, before the MRI came out clear, when all I knew was that I had cancer. I can tell you that there was nothing inside of me that said, God, where are you? There was nothing inside of me that said, God, this is what I thought. One day you would just sort of let me down and not show up. See, I can tell you that in the middle of that, when I heard those words, there was a deeper, more powerful voice in my life saying, I got you. And you've got this. So I'm not bringing you into the story because I'm afraid. But if I get afraid, I think that's okay. I'm bringing you into the story because I want you to know that when you're in the middle of this part of the story, God is just as good and true and faithful as he is when everything is going well. He teaches you how to trust. And if you don't have to face any battles, you don't have to learn to trust. And it's different for all of us. For, for you, it may be you just haven't learned to trust God in your relationships. You keep, you keep spending your life with the wrong people because you're so afraid to be alone. For some of you, it's economic. You just keep living your life as a slave to the paycheck because you're so afraid that God won't give you the job or the career or the life that you really long for. There's some of you here that there are things that have held you for so long because you're so afraid and you don't realize that the reason God has not removed those from your life is because you will not overcome them by him removing them. You will overcome them when you trust him and rise above them. I've come to realize in my life that the journey with Jesus is not a journey where he moves the obstacles but where he raises the bar of your life and you rise above the obstacles. God left the other nations there so that they would learn to trust him. And that trust in God, it's just always one generation away from disappearing. See, what the generation before you did will not strengthen your faith the way what your generation does. I'll tell You have to step in to the challenges in front of you now. You have to decide that this is your fight, that this is your great quest, that this is your burden and responsibility. And as the church, we have to step into the great issues of life and say, God, we want to be a part of solution of what you are doing in the world. Have you let God teach you how to fight? How to give you greater courage, greater faith, greater resolve, greater integrity? Over 25 years, I've seen people come and go. And you know what's crazy? I get, I get a lot of emails from people who leave. I, I know that surprises you. But they always want to let me know why they're leaving. I, I get a lot of emails from people letting me know that the church wasn't everything they hoped it would be and that I wasn't everything that they hoped I would be. And I thought to myself over 25 years, how come I don't get to write that email? (laughs) I'm leaving because you just did not live up to being the kind of human that I wanted you to be. And did not make the contribution I hoped you would. You know why? Because the church is not built on the people who come and go. It's built on the people who stay. And we all know the secret. We all could have left a thousand times. 
Because we've all let each other down because all of us are imperfect human beings and that's the beauty of community. Not that you finally found perfect people to hang with. Because if you're looking for them, they're not here. I mean, they're awesome, but they're not here. And they're not here. We speak from our imperfections. We speak from our flaws. We speak from our brokenness. But we speak from our scars and our wounds and our battles. We've learned how to fight. And we've learned how to trust. But he also kept them in the middle of the conflict so they could learn how to win. Verse 5 and 6, it says, and this is sort of a depressing end. The Israelites lived among the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Parasites, Hivites, Jebusites. And they took their daughters in marriage and gave their own daughters to their sons and served their gods. See, a lot of times when people read the scriptures about the battles, they think, oh, why, why was God for one people and against another people? Why is God for one race and against another, one ethnicity against another? And that's never the case. In fact, if you read the scriptures very carefully, God loves every race and every ethnicity and every people of the earth. In fact, one of the great ironies is that one of the nations that God blessed almost more than any nation was Egypt. And he did it through Joseph. And for generations, the Egyptians received and lived in the blessing and prosperity of God. But we don't usually teach that. Well, one of the people that God called his anointed was the Persian king of, uh, the, the king of Persia. It's strange how God works among peoples. And, and even in the lineage of Jesus, he has Rahab, who's a prostitute and not an Israelite. And, and, and he has four women who don't fall into line into the pristine bloodline of the right kinds of people. And what you find in the scriptures is that what God is never doing is he's not pitting a people against a people. He, in that time, what he was actually doing is trying to create a witness for himself so that all the peoples of the earth would know that he is God. Because he wanted every nation to find the life that only comes in him. In fact, I found this amazing verse. Listen to this. In Jonah, of all places. In Jonah chapter 2, verse 8, Jonah's praying. I think he's praying inside of a, of a fish. Or a whale. He says, Those who cling to worthless idols turn away from God's love for them. Whoa. That's why God hates idols. Because the moment you start worshiping false gods, you've turned away from the one who loves you. And What we find in this moment in the book of Judges is the reason God was trying to teach them through these conflicts and battles was not because he wanted to pit one people against another people, but he was trying to teach them to trust in him so that they would be a witness to all those other peoples, that God is the one true living God. And he could see that compromise was coming. And that's the curious thing about the story of Israel. God would call them to himself. He would make them a promise. They would step into that promise. They would receive an experience of victory. And then they would choose compromise. And what I've discovered in life is a strange thing. It is not failure that will make you weaker. It is success that will make you weaker. 
It is not that God has made life harder on you that will make you weaker. It is when life comes at you too easy that actually makes you weaker. And the Israelites decided to choose the easy way out by intermarrying and taking on their gods. Why didn't they intermarry and have them take on the living God? Because those who worshipped false gods were more committed to their false gods than the people of God were to the living God. And everything God does, he does to build in you the resolve and the capacity to overcome every obstacle and every crisis and every challenge in life. You know, the reality is, the reality is that we're all going to die. These bodies have a design flaw. They're time-dated. They have an expiration date. Sometimes doctors can tell you how, but they really can never tell you when. But the reality is this. I expect to live a long, long time unless a drunk driver hits me running a red light. But I know that I have some challenges ahead of me. So I want you to hear it now before the story's over. I am battle ready because God has taught me how to fight. He's taught me how to trust. He's taught me how to win. And anyone who thinks that death is us losing doesn't understand how this game is played. Amen. You only lose if you are afraid to live. And so this will be the last Sunday that I'll be up here for a little while. And people ask me, you know, do I have any concerns? I go, yeah. My concerns is that we do not lose our focus. That while I'm recovering, that we do not miss this moment. See, if I have any prayer requests, I do have a couple of asks of you. I know that a lot of people want to pray with me. And I'm just going to ask you to pray for me. Because it's, it's already happening where people are just coming and, you know, grabbing me in stores and different places and say, can I pray for you? Even without knowing. And, and, and so I'm just going to ask you graciously to a couple of quick things. Pray for us, but, but if you would, just not ask to pray with us. And... Um, don't ask, like, Mariah and Aaron, how you doing? Um, because if you get asked that a thousand times, it just it gets really hard. Does that make sense? But pray for us. And, uh, and um, we will receive that with such joy. And um, step up. Like, I, I've just asked God, God, if you're going to take me through this, would you use this? as an opportunity for Mosaic to achieve its greatest capacity. Because I know that we're not living up to God's potential for us. And I felt in those moments over the past month such a deep sense of the preciousness of time. We have an opportunity to do something special together. 
And that's my hope and my prayer. Be for each other. Be forgiving and compassionate. But at the same time, let's demand the best of each other. I've been thinking about this book going, is it good enough? Because if it were my last book, I want it to be the best book I've ever written. I thought, shouldn't I think about that every single time? If it's my last talk, I want it to be the best talk I've ever given. If it's my last day, I want it to be the best day I've ever lived. And that's what I want for you. I want you to get up every day and live it as if it's the last day to live. With everything you have. Be fully present. Live with courage and faith. Live without regret and without fear. And if fear begins to seep into your soul, lean into it and terrify it because of your resolve. Jesus is everything he has said he would be. I can tell you this. I met him when I was around 20 years old. He has journeyed with me for decades. I have never experienced a moment where he was not faithful and true. This is the Jesus I know. And he's the Jesus I long for you to know, for the city to know, and for the world to know. Thank you so much for joining us on the Mosaic Podcast. I want to encourage you to take the message you've just received, allow it to go deeply into your soul, to allow Jesus to do the deep work that only he can do. And I also want to encourage you to be a part of what we're doing here at Mosaic, to go to the Mosaic app and to become a part of the Mosaic Foundation, to become a regular giver and investor and bringing this message across the world. I want to thank you so much for being here with us. God bless you.